welcome to this first ever episode of Pensions Cast. This is a new podcast from PwC focused on a wide variety of pension issues. In this one, we'll be talking about the new climate change requirements for pension schemes. I'm Raj Modi and I'm your host. I'm a pensions partner at PwC. We are by now all aware of the risk that climate change presents. We've seen some very bold statements like it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean and land. And we've had the UN Secretary General talk about a code red for humanity. Well, what does this all have to do with pension schemes? As one of the largest investor groups in the UK, they obviously need to consider their approach to ESG issues. And in any case, unsurprisingly, legislation has come to force them to do that. I'm delighted to be joined today here in our virtual studio by with Liz Ramsaran and Patrick Edison from the PwC pensions team. Liz is a solicitor and Patrick an actuary. Liz, let's start with you. Could you please talk us through the new climate related requirements for pension schemes and what exactly it means in practice? Thanks Raj. Uh, so this year we've seen perhaps the world's biggest step towards dealing with climate change and pensions. The UK is the first major economy to introduce climate disclosures and reporting requirements for pension schemes and these have applied to the largest schemes since October 2021 and will apply to smaller schemes soon enough. Under the Pensions Regulators Combined Code, which is expected to come into force in summer 2022, the majority of schemes will need to factor ESG, including stewardship considerations, into their governance, and in particular, the new governance requirements of the own risk assessment and effective systems of governance that schemes will have to comply with. There are also increasing calls from lobbyists and parliament on trustees to set net zero targets and the Work and Pensions Committee has recommended that the pensions regulator provides guidance on net zero alignment for trustees. And then, But I think it's just worth bearing in mind that there are significant legal barriers for trustees in considering ESG and that's particularly in light of their fiduciary duties. Wow, well we'll definitely come back to that legal barrier issue but I'm taking away from what you've said that there are a lot of different parties involved in this agenda and they're all coming at it with their own angle that leaves people responsible for running pension schemes with quite a lot to digest so how is that actually going Patrick what are your thoughts on that Hi Raj um, we're seeing a lot of trustees and some trustee advisors as well really actually struggling with these requirements. One common issue is around scenario analysis. The scenarios have been set out in a lot of detail in the reporting requirements, but trustees really need to spend the time to understand these requirements, understand these scenarios, and think about how the implications of rising temperatures, rising sea levels, all these things that, frankly, we're very worried about, what the impact will be on their own schemes. And I guess part of that is that sustainability has become a profession in its own right. And 
there's there's climate change specialists who can work with trustees and work with trustees existing advisors to prepare them for these reporting requirements it's not to say that it's like a tick box exercise or anything that can be wrapped up in a matter of days or weeks we kind of feel that it's a two to three year journey for full implementation of the task force's recommendations and putting in place a credible commitment to net zero so it doesn't sound great but the good news is these aren't new issues um, there are other industries which have gone through these changes before and are going through them now um, with pensions the timescales are a bit more accelerated but these experiences of other industries will really help trustees and their sponsors in in facing this challenge it's a good point you make patrick in terms of the fact that we've got more than 25 cop events behind us but it's only relatively recently as liz was saying earlier that esg issues in a formal way have hit the pensions agenda i mean liz just coming back in patrick's talked about the challenges that go with trying to get your head around all the different scenarios that have to be computed what are the other challenges that you're seeing trustees and sponsors face thanks raj um yeah i think that the main thing that we're hearing from trustees is really the role of asset managers and also concerns around their fiduciary duties on one of the big issues trustees are also having is data so that there is a a slight issue that there's not a consistently held understanding of what key terms in ESG actually mean and as a result data that is being passed through to trustees isn't really consistent and that then has an impact because it means trustees aren't able to carry out the metric testing and the scenario analysis with any sort of clear degree of certainty or consistency. There's also a bit of a concern within the financial services industry that um, some providers are greenwashing investment portfolios, um, which, you know, perhaps looks good on the face of it, but isn't actually helpful to the net zero journey. So what we're seeing is a, a increasing calls for green taxonomy. So a common framework for determining which activities can actually be defined as environmentally sustainable, as well as better in quality of data and in order to carry out that scenario analysis and metric testing. So over the next two years, we are expecting to see more clarity. We're expecting to see that from Europe and within the UK. And what we're also seeing is the whole financial services sector really starting to align with the task force for climate financial disclosures. Um, and that consistency will really help schemes in terms of meeting their net, their reporting obligations and, and their journey towards net zero. Yes, but I suppose when you put all of that together, you've got the pensions industry having to tackle issues around data, as you've said, issues around uh, greenwashing and what ESG compliance actually means in practice, and all of those points mentioned earlier around getting their heads around the scenarios. I've heard a number of pension scheme managers say, well, this is not necessarily something that we the pension scheme manager should be focusing on this should be up to the investment industry and the asset managers themselves to resolve patrick is that a fair stance to take i think it's reasonable i think i get where that viewpoint is coming from and a lot of trustees that that um, manage schemes 
who are not yet subject to the, the reporting requirements are kind of expecting they can rely on the asset managers to adjust their approach in the future and then those trustees will just follow suit and that's fine that's fine where there's a limited budget or a reluctance to start a detailed project on ESG but it does come with the potential flaw that many schemes as you know will have very diverse portfolios um, and, and various different asset classes so the trustees do need to form their own views and their own ambitions on climate. We don't expect though that in the short term, all asset managers will report on ESG in the same way. That's another thing that trustees need to look out for. Um, and there'll still be work to be done once all information has been received. Finally, I'd say that trustees really need to consider all of the risks and opportunities relating to ESG, not just passing it over to the asset managers. That requires consideration of wider governance issues and also looking at the impact that ESG factors will have on the strength of the sponsor's covenant. Right and that brings us neatly back to the previous point actually about their legal responsibilities. Let's just try and tackle that one and Liz I think I'll bring you in on this. So you do hear a school of thought that says particularly from pension scheme managers, that we get these ESG issues. Uh, but you hear trustees saying, but I've got a wider responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility, really simply just to pay the members benefits as they fall due and maximise the return on the asset portfolio. And that's that. So how does ESG fit in? Can you square that off for us? I can try, Raj. Um, I think it's a fair fair comment and we are seeing this, as you said, quite a lot from trustees that they're seeing their fiduciary duty, which is broadly to act in the best financial interests of members, can be at odds with taking into account ESG factors. Um, and I think a lot of this comes from previously held beliefs that ESG was very much a non-financial factor and generally the rules are that trustees can consider financial factors but are only able to consider non-financial factors in very limited circumstances and from that trustees have sort of started to form the view that it's very challenging to think about climate and and ESG more generally. I think, though, we have moved away from that when you look at the body of evidence around the financial impact of climate. And in particular, there are sort of transitional risks that trustees need to bear in mind, as well as physical risks. And also, remember, there are opportunities here as well. So when we think about looking at the kind of financial interest of members, I think there's it's a bit more nuanced than that simplistic view we're hearing. Uh, and in particular, you know, it's not just looking at returns, but it's also looking at balancing risk. And that's always been the case, because if we weren't able to balance risk, schemes wouldn't have been able to hedge effectively. And, and as we know, a large majority of schemes do use hedging as part of their investment strategy. Um, so when we're looking at, when we're considering ESG, I think you know, it is actually within the trustees' fiduciary duties to consider the risks presented by climate. And if they don't do that, I think there's a real question as to whether they're complying with their fiduciary duties at all. That's a really neat way of bringing it together. That you, You're saying essentially that you've got this overall duty and although ESG has been called out 
as a topic within that, it's really part and parcel of your overall duty, accepting that there are some specific ESG requirements that are now on the table and, and disclosures you've got to meet. But I, I like the way you brought that together. Thank you very much for that. Patrick, I'm just going to bring you in on one final question, which is that for this episode so far, we've been talking about the institutional situation for defined benefit schemes. We haven't really looked at it through the lens yet for defined contribution schemes and what members, individual members of those schemes are doing and what they think about ESG issues. Do you have a take on that topic? We're seeing a lot of DC members really applying pressure to their pension schemes. We're seeing pressure from all factors, be that social, be that environmental, be that governance. On the other hand, we're also seeing the trustees of DC schemes and the employers reaching out to members, um, being proactive and trying to present them with fund options that align with their beliefs and give them a wide range of choice so that ESG factors can be, can be um, presented to members. It's the same reason that, that Liz was mentioning earlier, there's a fiduciary, fiduciary duty for these trustees. Um, but even when there's not trustees, even when it's a group pension plan, employers are considering ESG comprehensively. And a lot of that is to do with the commitments that the business as a whole is making. These firms want to make sure that the pension scheme is in line with that as well, and there's not a big disconnect there. Looking at the social in ESG, we see a lot of DC funds that can be tailored to members' own beliefs. A really, really interesting example we're seeing coming onto the market is pension funds that are in compliance with Sharia law. Another thing we're seeing that's really kind of the market adapting to what members are demanding is funds which exclude investment in certain industries. So it's obvious that this is coming to both defined contribution and defined benefit schemes, uh, like it or not. But we've covered a lot of ground there. So let's wrap up now. That draws us to the close of this first episode of Pensions Cast. Thank you so much, Liz and Patrick, for a wide ranging discussion. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Please do get in touch with any of us if you have any questions or comments or would look, like to discuss any of the content further. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to what will be a series of podcasts so you can keep up to date with future episodes. Thank you very much, everyone. Please tune in again soon.